Well, we're going to be finishing up our, our series this morning on find and, and follow. Last week we, we looked at find and obviously this week we're going to look at follow. Next week we're going to be starting our kind of our Christmas series and so I'm looking forward to, to that. Um, when you get back next week the church will look a little bit more festive but um, we're excited about the season, excited to celebrate uh, Christ coming and his birth with you and uh, whether you're here or online it's going to be a special time a special time of year so we're going to go ahead and finish up our series we're going to be in Mark 8 um, this morning now as we get into this I want to kind of look at some things before we uh, really get started now when you read Mark 8 and especially the sections that we're going to be looking at this morning typically what we do as pastors or even as people that are, are maybe reading passages or sections or, or whatever maybe you have a devotional that you use which is great typically as we look at this portion of scripture they typically break it up mainly because there's so much meat here there's a lot that goes on in this Mark 8 passage of scripture um, but we need to remember that as you're looking at these together this is a progression that Jesus is taking us on and taking his disciples on as we get through this together so what we're going to do is we're going to start here in Mark 8 we're going to read it we're going to look at it together and then we're going to kind of more dissect it and really look at what this means because last week as we looked at this idea of finding and now we're going to look at something a little bit different because now as we look at follow we have been been found or we should have been found hopefully quote-unquote last week and now we have the next step that Jesus wants to take us in on as followers of him which is important because a lot of times unfortunately people will get to the fine part they'll 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 have that moment or that that situation where where they they allow God to do something great but then they don't take the next step salvation is huge salvation is important but as you grow as you mature this is a concept of following and discipleship that Jesus wants to take us in on. So here's what we're going to do. Let's start with Mark 8. If you have your Bibles, it'll also be on the screen, your phones. Follow along with me. We're going to start with Mark 8, starting with verse number 27. And this is what it says. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples. Now, we're going to kind of stop here as we get through this and kind of look at these things. Uh, we have to remember that a lot of times these were, these were travels or, or journeys that took days. Uh, they, they had to walk there. They were, they were taking time. So as this kind of want to give you the setting and kind of the feel for the, 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 the message, here Jesus is, he's walking with his disciples. This happened a lot in his ministry. And as they're walking, as they're headed this way, Jesus asks them a question. And here it is. Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elisha, and, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. I love this, this picture that we're getting. Here they are, they're walking, they're, they're traveling, and Jesus, kind of out of the blue, just brings up this question. He asks a question that, quite honestly, all of us have to look at and answer at least one time in our life. Who is this man? This man that has literally, I mean, you have to admit, whether you believe he's God's son or not, he has changed the face of humanity in many, many ways. Who is this man and Jesus asked them as he asked us 
Who am I? Peter responds. A lot of times Peter, unfortunately, kind of has a big mouth. We're going to see in a minute how he still does. But in this moment, he responds. And he says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Now, as we continue with verse number 31, now that we have that proclamation, now that we have that understanding, now we're going to move, or Jesus is going to move us and the disciples to the next step. Let's look at Mark 8, 31. We're going to look at verses 31 through the first part of 32. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Okay, now remember, a lot of times we seem to stop at verse 30, but Jesus now begins to teach them. He says, listen, now that you understand who I am, Now that you understand that I'm God's son, now I'm going to teach you really what that means. What does that look like? What will happen now that you understand who I truly am? That I'm not just one of the prophets. I'm not just a good teacher. I'm not just somebody in history. That I am God's son. And so Jesus begins to teach them plainly. He begins to explain to them that he's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to die as God's son. So he's now explaining how they now need to understand the situation. Because here's the thing, and we're going to see in a minute, because they have some very different ideas of what that meant when Jesus said that he was God's son. So he begins to teach them and begins to help them. Now let's look at Mark 8, the second part of 32 and verse number 33. Now, this is immediately after Jesus has told them what he was going to have to go through. And Peter took him aside... And began to rebuke him. Now I want you to stop and think about this for a second. And I want you to think about what has just happened here. Peter has just, a couple verses before, acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's God's son. And now, a couple verses later, Peter is basically rebuking God. And before we get too high and mighty, let's remember sometimes we do that too. We tend to think that we know best, that we know what should happen. And so Peter begins to rebuke Jesus for that reason. But he says, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebukes Peter. That's the way it should be. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Quite a rebuke. The last time, if you want to remember it this way, the last time that Jesus used this type of language was when he was literally being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. If you remember that story in Matthew before his ministry, Jesus is tempted by Satan to, to, turn, to turn rocks into bread, to throw himself off of a cliff basically, and to, to basically that Satan will give him all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus will just bow down. As I was studying this and I was looking at this, I heard some very smart theologians saying this was literally the fourth temptation of Jesus. We have the three that were recorded in the wilderness, and this is the fourth. This is why Jesus' response is so harsh to an extent to Peter, is because, and why he says, get behind me, Satan, not get behind me, Peter, is because Jesus was looking at this as the fourth temptation. Because basically what Peter was rebuking him was saying, listen, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to be rejected. You don't have to die. Which sounded pretty good, probably. 
And what does Jesus respond to Peter with? He basically says, your mind isn't right. What you think isn't correct. Your mind is in the earthly understanding and the earthly realm, not necessarily in what God wants. This is in your notes. There is usually tension between the way God thinks about things and how man thinks about things. We tend to do that, don't we? We tend to think that we understand or know better than God. And sometimes there's tension there. I know in my own life when, when I think there should be a certain way that things go and I think, okay, this is the way this is supposed to look. This is the way this is supposed to be. But when it doesn't turn out that way, there's tension there. Because my mind in that moment is not focused on thinking like God, but instead thinking like me. Thinking like someone who has a very small understanding of things instead of trusting God who has a huge understanding of things. And so Jesus rebukes him. He says, listen, you're not thinking right. And here's the thing I found. When it comes to following Jesus, a lot of us, for many different reasons, don't have our mind thinking correctly of what that really entails. So as we continue on, we need to get our minds right and be thinking the right way about what it means to follow Jesus, okay? Because we think, okay, this is what this looks like. Listen, here's the deal. It's not a very good idea to look to a pastor or a human being and to try to look at them and go, okay, what does, they, what does it really mean to follow Jesus from them unless they're doing what I hopefully will be doing here, which is saying, hey, this is what Jesus is saying this looks like. We tend to all want to follow Jesus. We all tend to want to do what Jesus wants us to do. But the thing is, we don't always understand. Our minds aren't always right to know what that really looks like. And here's the deal. For a lot of us, it looks a lot different than we think. And we need to understand that. So let's, let's look at what this means. Let's, look at, let's continue on now with Mark 8, 34. In this passage of scripture, Jesus begins that process. He says, listen, I want your mind to be right. Here's what this looks like. Here is what this, um, this, this following me really looks like. Peter, you don't understand, so I'm going to change your mind and your mindset so you understand. And this is what it says. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, that idea of coming after me in the Greek is the idea of following, okay? Just so you know, okay? Come after me is the idea of following. So if, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and, again, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whatever loses his life for my sake will, and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whosoever is ashamed of me and my word in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. This portion of Scripture, for a lot of individuals a lot smarter than I am, really look at this as being kind of the, the foundational passage. In fact, this is in your notes. We're going to break down what many call the foundational passage on discipleship in all of the New Testament. Okay, This idea of 
discipleship is the same idea of a follow. So we're going to break this down. We just read it all together, but we want to break it down so we really understand what Jesus has said. But let's remember something. This is a continuation of what we started in Mark 8, 27. As they're going on the road, they're having this discussion. And Jesus is slowly building here. He's saying, first, you have to find out who I am. That's what the question was. Who am I? Once Peter understood that in his disciples, then he said, okay, next I want, you to I want to explain to you what that's going to look like. And he continues on with that understanding of following and discipleship in Mark 8, 34 through 38. So again, we're going to look at this together. We're going to break it down. But first thing that we see as we look at this and break it down is first we see, and this is in your notes, the command. We see the command. So let's look at that together. Mark 8, 34. And he says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. These are not optional things if we really want to follow Jesus. A lot of times we don't want to do these things. We don't like these things. And so we think these are optional. They are not. That's why we titled this the command. So what does this command really look like? Simple. We follow Jesus by doing two basic things. Number one, by taking up our cross, by taking up our cross, and that again, Mark 8, 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and eventually be killed, and after three days rise again. So he's already started laying this foundation of the cross. He's already trying to get them to understand. So the first step in this idea of following in this command is we have to be willing to do the same. We have to be willing to take up our cross and follow him. And here's the thing. Wrapped up in the cross is everything we see here in Mark 8, 31. In the idea of the cross, obviously, it's the idea of suffering. The cross was an unbelievably suffering death. It was one of those things that human beings came together and thought, how can we make this death as painful and as suffering-filled as possible? They came up with crucifixion. So this is a suffering situation. Obviously, next is the idea of rejection. Not only is Jesus rejected but, but by, by the people that he's come to save, but he's rejected in every way, shape, and form. They choose, the people literally choose a murderer and a, and, and, and a rebel, basically, to be set free so Jesus can be killed and crucified. He is completely and totally rejected. And obviously the final one is death. You know, when you take up your cross... When you pick it up and begin to carry it, you're not doing that for your own health. You're not doing it just to move it from one section to another. You're taking your cross to your place of execution. You're taking your cross to the place where you're willing, and like as Jesus did, to lay down your life. Thankfully for us, he tells us again in 31 that he'll rise again in three days. But the first thing, the first command is that concept of understanding that we as picking up our cross, when you pick it up, you better understand that there's going to be moments of suffering, there's going to be moments of rejection, and there's going to be moments of death. But that's what Jesus initially says. That's the first command. The second command is the command of self-denial. Now it's interesting here that we see in one verse the concept of death, 
rejection and suffering, and then the next was self-denial. Why is that? It's in your notes. It's simple. Jesus calls us to self-denial because we don't want to experience the suffering, rejection, and death, and pain that taking up our cross and following Jesus can sometimes bring. Jesus knows us. Jesus knows human beings very well. And he knows, listen, to to do this, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to be willing to say, you know what? This isn't going to be easy. This isn't going to be fun. We talked about it last week. This is the narrow, hard road that not very many people find. But it leads to life. Even in verse 31, even after the suffering, rejection, and death, Jesus still shows us that after three days, life comes. So we're given the command not only to pick it up, but to self-denial so that we will pick it up. A lot of us want to follow Jesus, but we don't have the discipline or the desire or the self-denial enough to be willing to pick up our cross daily and follow him because we don't like those things. Nobody does. Nobody necessarily should. I don't think anybody should jump up and down and go, yay, I'm going to suffer. Yay, this is going to hurt. Yay, I'm going to be rejected. Yay, something in my life may need to die. Those are hard things, and they come because we're willing to deny ourselves for something greater, because we know and understand what Jesus talked about and what we talked about last week, that it's hard and it's narrow, and few find it, but it leads to life. The second thing we see, not only does Jesus give us command, and I love how Jesus does this a lot of times in Scripture, but then he gives us the motivation. Then he gives us the motivation. Let's look at Mark 8, 35 through 38. This is what it says. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Okay, so, so this can get a little confusing. It can be a little strange because it doesn't, doesn't necessarily compute with the way that we typically think. This is why, again, we need to have the mindset of God. So again, this is in your notes. The idea here is this, okay? If we try to save our life in this world, we'll actually lose it. But... If we're willing to lose our life, pick up our cross, follow him, we'll actually save it. Okay? So we'll actually save it. And here's the thing. Typically, we are very much about saving, aren't we? Not, I mean, self-preservation is a big part of our mindset. We want to make sure that we are okay first. Emily and Easton and I, we flew over Thanksgiving and had a, had a good time visiting with family and, and, and just an amazing time. I hope all of you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And here's the thing. I haven't been on a plane for quite a while, um, but they still said the same thing I always remember, and it's this. If the cabin pressure in the airplane suddenly drops, I don't know how that happens or when that happens, and I'm glad I've never been on a plane when it has, okay? But, you know, they have the thing. The little, the little mass with the oxygen tube will fall down from the ceiling, and they always say the same thing. Make sure that first you put on your mask... And then you help those around you that need help. Look, I don't know what I'm going to do if that ever happens, but I think the same thing every time when I'm with my son. And it's simply this. That mask is going on Easton before it's going on me. Now, why is that? He's my son. 
I care about it. Now, maybe I won't do that. Like I said, I've never been there. I do know this. If I'm not there with my family, if it's just me flying, I'm sitting next to Joe Schmo and, and, and whatever next to me, I'm sorry. That may, you, you're going to have to figure it out on your own, man. The mask is going on me first. So typically, we do have that desire or that thing, you know, i got to save me first. Save me first. It's, it's what our world kind of preaches. But here Jesus takes that and he turns it on its head. And he says, listen, if you really want to save it, you're going to have to be willing to lose it. But here's the thing we don't need to always understand. In this context, what does save and lose really mean? We've heard this before, but let's define our terms. Let's see, as, as Jesus is speaking in this context, what does it mean to really save and what does it mean to really lose? So it's in your notes. When we try to save our life in this world, here's what we strive for. We strive for, I just listed four things. We strive for acceptance, for comfort, for glory, and safety. If you are striving for these things, you're trying to save it. Now, now I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying these things are bad, necessarily. We all want to be accepted. We all like comfort. We all, you know, probably the only one that's probably not so good is the glory one. But, you know, we, we all tend to want these things. But here's the thing. In this context, if this is your priority, you're trying to save a life. And if you do that, you're going to end up losing it. You say, Aaron, that's, that's pretty strong language in the world today that we live in. I know. But you know what? This is what Jesus is communicating here. If you are so worried about acceptance from the world, you are not going to be nearly as excited and desire acceptance from God. If you're wanting glory for yourself, you're not going to be so overly concerned with making sure that God gets the glory because he deserves it. If you are so focused in on comfort and safety, I'm telling you right now, if that's your priority, you're going to have trouble really following and serving Jesus because following him is not a life of comfort and safety. I'm sorry, it isn't. Jesus didn't say in this life you will have comfort and safety. He said you are going to pick up your cross. You are going to be rejected. You are going to suffer. You are going to die in certain areas. It's not going to be safe. You're going to have trouble. And if these are your priorities, you will have a hard time saving what really matters. It doesn't mean that you have to be foolish. Okay? Jesus is not saying, hey, why don't you go play in I-25 for a bit? That's, that's not what he's saying. Please don't take this out of context. What he is trying to get us to understand is the life he has called us to is a hard, narrow path. And few find it. And we have to understand that. I know this is heavy, but we have to really know what this means because we want to be people that follow Jesus. So if you're striving for those things, if those are what's most important for you, you're going to have a hard time. However, when we're willing to lose our life in this world, we're willing to accept a couple of things. They're going to be up on the screen. Number one, opposition, rejection, shame, and even death. And when I put death up here, I do mean both physical and willing to let certain things die. 
in your relationships or in your life as well. There are many people in our world today that are not only willing to die in those areas, but also are and are willing and are dying in a physical sense. And Jesus here is basically saying, listen, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be willing to accept these things. Now, does that mean that you're going to leave today and experience those things? I'm not saying that necessarily, but I am saying this. These things can and probably will come in your life in one way or another. Are you willing to lose those things? Are you willing to lose in this life to gain and be saved in the next? Can I just be completely honest with you? I think a lot of things we see in our churches today, and I will be very specific and I will blame my group of people, okay? That pastors preach from the pulpit. They are preaching them because they are more concerned, I'm sorry, with acceptance, comfort, glory, and safety than they are helping people understand that in this life, if you're going to be light, light's going to be in opposition with darkness, and there's going to be opposition, there's going to be shame, there's going to be rejection, and there's going to be death. Merry Christmas. But hey, this is what God's Word says. And I know it's harsh. But listen, are you willing to be rejected for Jesus? Are you willing to stand up for what is true and what is right and what God's word says? Or are we going to be a people that say, you know what, I'd rather save my life in this world. I'd rather save, quote unquote, my reputation in this world. Uh, it's interesting to me that Jesus in this passage of scripture goes one step further and he says, listen, if these people will reject or not know me or be ashamed of me in this adulterous, sinful generation, What's he going to do when we stand before him? This is serious, folks. This is important. But we have to be willing to do that. But look, look at John 12. In John 12, 25, this is what it says. Again, kind of a parallel passage. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for all eternity. Wow, what a promise. I love it because Jesus doesn't just say, hey, listen, if you're willing to lose it, great, thanks, I appreciate it. But he says, look what you'll gain. Look at Mark 10. In Mark 10, 28 through 30, this is what it says. Peter here speaks up again. He's had this, this moment. He says, then Peter began to speak up. We've given everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone, everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news. Once again, we see that again. We see it from, from Mark 8, that concept of for, for Jesus and the gospel's sake, for the good news, okay, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Even in that concept, Jesus is going, listen, there's going to be persecution, but look what you're going to gain. Remember, we talked about it last week in this verse of Jesus uh, in, the, in the 
Sermon on the Mount where Jesus basically says this idea of wide and easy, but it leads to destruction. Listen, if you need to understand which road you're on, I simply have a question for you. Are you losing your life to this world or are you saving your life to this world? That will help you discover very quickly which road you are on. But it's so amazing that Jesus says, listen, listen, we have to get our minds away from the temporal to the eternal. And he says, yes, for the temporal, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be unsafe situations. There's going to be danger. There's going to be trouble. That's the temporal. But listen, what you're going to gain in the eternal is going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. So Jesus doesn't just say, hey, listen, lose it. Hey, self-denial. Hey, hey, pick up your cross, die. He's saying, listen, when you do that, when you walk that narrow road that's hard and difficult, you are going to find a life and a life abundant. So I have a simple question as we bring this for a close and we kind of look at some application. Simple question. Are you following Jesus? It's a question, listen, that we need to ask ourselves, I believe, every single day. Because it's really easy, kind of going back to the, the roads from last week, it's really easy to go off onto another path. It's really easy to lose the narrow way and instead find the hard or the, the easy way for a while. So it's a question that we need to ask ourselves daily. It's something that Paul talks about, picking up our cross daily. So almost every day we need to look at our hearts and look at our lives, maybe even ask our Father and say, Jesus, am I following you? Maybe before we go to bed, Father, did I follow you today? And God, if I didn't, God, forgive me and help me do better tomorrow. If I did, I praise you for helping me to do that. Help me to do a better job tomorrow as well. So we're going to look at four things that I believe can help us answer that question. Because here's the deal. Sometimes we don't know. We need to understand. So here it is. Number one. Are you following Jesus in such a way that you invest differently? That you invest differently. And I, yes, I'm talking about your money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your talents. I'm talking about all those things. Are you investing differently than someone who's trying to save their life in this world? When you look at how you give, how does it measure up? Does that make sense? How do you invest? We get, there's so many stories that we get to talk about here where, where we see individuals who are willing to take what God had given them and use it to, to produce more. But when you think about your time, the where you're investing your time, are you doing it differently than someone who's willing and desire and focus is to save their life in this world? Or are you doing it differently? Because here's the thing, whether you know this or not, there's a big, big difference between light and dark. There's a big difference between the two roads. And our lives, because of those things, should look differently. What our priorities are should be different. And how we invest should be different. So that's the first one. Are you following Jesus in such a way that you invest differently? Number two, are you following Jesus in such a way that you love differently? that you love differently. Listen, hear me here. We are amazing as human beings as liking people quite a bit. 
We are amazing likers. We're horrible lovers. Does that make sense? We don't love the way Jesus asks us to love. You say, Aaron, how does Jesus ask us to love? It's simple. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Read it. That is how Jesus asks us to love. It's hard. Once again. But do you love differently? Do you love when people don't love you back? And one step further, do you love when people purposely harm you? Look, it, it is somewhat easier hear me here, to love when people do things out of ignorance or misunderstandings. It's not easy, though. It's so hard, but we can get, we can, we can get past that. Many of us have said, listen, they don't understand, so, so I forgive and we move on. But listen, God doesn't just call us to forgive and love those people. He calls us to live and love and accept and, uh, those, and forgive those people who purposely set out to destroy you who literally rub their hands in the morning and say, how can I destroy so-and-so? That's loving differently. And listen, hear me here. You will not be able to do that on your own, period. You need Jesus. That's why we have to follow so closely. That's why he's called us to that. And is it hard? You better believe it's hard. It's going to be one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. But with Jesus' help, you will accomplish it. Because he says all things, all things in Christ, even the hard. So do you love differently? Number three, are you following Jesus in such a way that you live different, differently? Now, you could say live is kind of falls into some of these categories. But listen, how do you live your life? Does it look different than others? When you see yourself and how you live and how you treat people and all these things... Is it different than people that are on a different road? Or is it not distinguishable? You see, there ought to be something different. There ought to be something tangible. There ought to be something that you see that is different. I told this story before, but when I was in Albuquerque, I played softball with some guys that, were, that were, uh, worked with my dad. They went to my dad and said, hey, you want to play softball? And he said, no, I don't really want to play, but I, I bet my son would want to play. And they said, yeah, if he wants to play, great. So I played for a couple years with these guys, and they were, they were, they were great. They were a little rough on, around the edges, like most people are, but they were fine. And, and I just played, and they never asked me what I did for a living. I just, I was just Randy's son, you know. They probably assumed maybe I would, working in another division or something like that. And I remember it was about our last game, and, and we were walking to the field, and I'm walking with this guy, and, and, and this individual I, I know did not know Jesus. And we're walking, and, and, and finally he kind of, this light bulb came on. He goes, you know, we've been playing a couple years. I don't, what do you do? You know, that's a typical question that guys ask each other. Like, what's your job? What do you do? They never ask. We were in softball mode, I guess. But, but he said, we're walking to the field. I said, what do you do? And I never told him. I, I don't, that's not something I run around and, and put a, I don't have a banner, you know, that I put up. And I said, oh, well, uh, I'm a youth pastor. I, I'm a pastor. And he didn't say anything. He just dropped his head and he kept walking. And, and a couple seconds later, he looked over at me and he said, I thought it was probably something like that. Now, why did he say that? I wasn't at church. I didn't have all my Sunday clothes. I didn't have a Bible with me. We were going to go play softball. And look, I'll be honest with you. It's not easy to be a Christian when you're playing softball at times, you know. He saw something different in the way I lived. Was I perfect? No. 
But in that concept, it's simple. Are you living differently to where people will see and notice the final thing? Are you following Jesus in such a way that you think differently? Where is your mind at? Remember, we started this at the very beginning, and what was Peter's problem? It's simple. Peter thought he knew better than God. He thought that what Jesus was offering, what it meant to follow him, was not in the plan. And so Jesus needed to be, uh, hey, Jesus, you need to understand here, this isn't the way it's supposed to go. This isn't what's supposed to happen here. This is supposed to be the easy, uh, conquering, everything's going to be great. We're going to kick out the Romans type of situation. And Jesus says, listen, man, your thinking's all wrong. To really follow me, you're going to have to be willing to suffer and be rejected and eventually possibly die. We're going to have to change what we think. And here's what I mean in that. I think for a long time in the church, especially in the church in America, pastors and others have taken this and has basically said, you know, we don't want to talk about this. And instead of helping people understand that at times to follow Jesus means to suffer, be rejected, to have opposition. Instead, we have turned the gospel and following Jesus into this comfortable, easy situation that Jesus has offered us. When it's not really what Jesus has promised. You see, Jesus promised a life, a full life, a life that's filled with hope and love and fulfillment and joy. But here's the thing. We get those things, hear me here, in spite of the suffering and the rejection and the death. Those things do not overseed and we don't have to deal with those things. We get those things in the midst of them. We don't have the promise that there'll be no storms. We get the promise that Jesus is in our boat. And because he's in our boat, we can have peace, love, joy, patience, goodness, self-control. All these things in the midst of the storm, folks. To follow Jesus is to follow him when there's sunshine and there will be sunshine. Thank the Lord. But also when the clouds cloud up and the thunderstorm comes in and it's nasty out. But we get that peace even in the midst of the storm. But we have to think differently. We have to change how we understand what it is to follow Jesus. Because here's what typically happens. We're following Jesus fine until the rejection, the suffering, the death comes. And in that moment, then all of a sudden, we're really going, I don't know about this whole thing. In that moment, we kind of look over at what appears to be a road that's a little bit more wide and a little bit more easy. And we say, maybe we should follow that. Listen, folks, hear me. Jesus promised us something if we follow that road and it's destruction. He promised us that if we try to save our life in this world, we will end up losing it. So it's going to have to be not only a heart change, which is massively important, but a mindset change. Remember what Jesus said to Peter. You are thinking as a man thinks. The amazing thing about what God does in us and through us is he transforms over time every part of who we are. 
not only our hearts, but everything is changed and restored so that we can not only do these things, we can do them in a way that is so clearly obvious that we have been with Jesus. If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to close. There are several portions of Scripture, and I always love them. Maybe I'll do a series one day um, on, on this, these, this idea. But I love it when, when in Scripture we see this concept of, of people, and the, the Scriptures make a comment, something along this line, where it's totally clear and obvious they have been with Jesus. Happens with the disciples, happened with Moses, kind of, you know, as he kind of came out of the, 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 the presence of the Lord. I mean, it happened several times. I love that. I want that said about you and me. Because here's the thing the idea of following, the idea of discipleship, the idea of understanding is really based on an idea that maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't. But the idea of of, 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 of discipleship from the time of Jesus and, and should be continued through to our time today is this. It was a blessing to be covered with the dust of your rabbi. Maybe you've never heard that term, but they would talk about that, the teacher, to follow, the person that you were following, to be covered by the dust of your rabbi was a great thing. What does that mean? It's simple. During this time, as the rabbis would walk, to different places to teach as Jesus is doing in our scriptures. The concept was that you were following so close. Obviously, they didn't have a lot of roads that we understand, but there was dust and dirt. And as the person's walking, they're, they're kind of producing that, kind of, you know, you know, Charlie Brown. It's like, you know, pig pen. You know, there's a little cloud of dust following. And the concept here, the idea was that you were following so close to your rabbi that the dust he was kicking up was covering you. Jesus has called every single one of us to not only be found, but to follow him and to be covered in the dust of Jesus. You see, seeing someone that has been covered by the dust of their rabbi, it was obvious. They looked different than someone who was far away and the dust had time to settle before they reached it. As Christians, we have got to be covered with the dust of Jesus. So that when we walk into areas, when we walk into situations, when we deal with things, it's so different. Why is it different? It's not different because we figured it all out or because we're so great. It's different because we understand what it is to truly follow him. Being willing to accept and understand that this life is going to have trouble and it's going to be hard. That we may be rejected by people we care about and people we love. It may cost us. Let me rephrase that. It will cost us a lot to follow Jesus. And it's not going to get easier, folks. But to follow him, he told us what it would take and what to expect. So it's simple. Are you following him? Are you following him? Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's pray. But before we do, I want to offer, before you can follow, you have to be found. Last week, if you 
you weren't here, I invite you to go back and listen to, to last week's message because it's important. This is, this is a building block series to an extent. To really understand week two, you need to watch week one. But Jesus has offered to find you. We talked about find and us finding him, but, but also he is looking for you. The Bible says that, that Jesus is willing to leave the 99 to go find the one. And you know what? Listen, hear me. Every single person that's been found, we were the one at one point. We understand what it means to be found and the amazing moment that is. But if you haven't been found, you can be this morning. If you haven't been found, you can reach out, call out to him, and he will find you, and you can be found. And that's such an amazing moment. You say, Aaron, how am I found? It's real simple. You just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead. Basically what that means is you acknowledge your need for him, that you're a sinner, that you've messed up, but that Jesus paid the price and you accept that love, you accept that forgiveness, and now you understand you're going to turn around from where you were headed and go a different direction. If you want to do that this morning, God is here, God is ready, whether you're at home or here or tomorrow or the next, whenever you watch this, God is ready to, to find you if you want to be found. So call out to him and be found. But if you have been found, the next step is follow. Sometimes we think find is enough. Find is just the start. You're walking. Remember, it's a road you're walking. You're on a journey. And you got to follow. And here's the deal. You'll either follow Jesus or you'll follow this world. But you'll follow something. So what are you following? What are you following? Do you really look at your life? Are you really following him? Because here's the deal. If you're not, you can start again. God will welcome you home. If you may have been following for a while, but you kind of gotten tired and you're sitting down, listen, get back up and let's keep moving. Let's, but listen, let's get so close that we're covered in the dust of our rabbi. Let's get so close that we're covered so that when we come into a place, that dust is just evident to every individual that we come in contact with. Whether it's the checkout person at Target or the waiter at lunch today, it does, or, or our family or our coworkers or our, our teachers, whoever it is. So that we can be the light that you called us to be. So that we, in that moment, can help others be found as well. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would just begin to illuminate areas in our life. That we would ask that question, am I really, truly following Jesus? Or am I following some comfortable, easy, watered down understanding of what this means? Am I really following him the way he told me to do so? If you are, awesome, keep going. If you're not, Today is the day where we can change and follow that closely again. So Father, we come to you and I, God, I pray that you would just illuminate those things to each and every one of us through your Holy Spirit. God, that you would just show us areas of our life and things. God, I pray that you would also show us great areas, areas where maybe we're doing a pretty good job of following and, and we can even do better, but areas also, God, that we're not following at all, that we need to be willing to follow. 
that God, that we would be willing to be rejected by this world, to be accepted by you, that we'd be willing to live uh, uh, sometimes in a place of discomfort in this world. So know that, that, that we can make a difference in this world to others. God, we'll, we'll do whatever you've asked us to do. Help us to follow you that close. We love you. We thank you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come and lead us in a quick closing chorus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're so good. You're so good. Thank you, God. Thank you for finding us. And thank you for calling us to follow you. Thank you for, for reaching out, making a way where there was no way. When we ran away and you reaching out and finding us, it's so amazing. But God, you didn't even stop there. Then you called us to be like you. Then you called us to live the way that is the best way ever to live. You called us to a life of transformation and restoration in you. And so, Father, I thank you for both of these things. I thank you that you found us, and I thank you that you called us to follow you. So help us, God. Help us to accomplish the mission that you've given us as individuals. You're so good, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I love you. I hope you have a wonderful week. For those that are online, we love you. We hope to see you soon. We miss you. We love you all so much. Have a great week. Merry Christmas for the first time, even though it doesn't feel like it quite yet. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.